Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 902 with Chef Kevin Sharp. Everything that we do just comes from a, a genuine place and an authenticity that we don't try to make anything up. We don't try to, you know, we don't try to fool anybody with anything. We just give you something that's real. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy, a company you've been hearing me reference a lot on the show lately, and that's because they're awesome. And I want to make sure you know about some new e-learning courses they have available right now. Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that can help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level. So these courses I'm talking about, like the two courses on beer category and Guinness Essentials, just in time for St. Patrick's Day, you'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pint every time. Learn about different beer styles and even how to enhance your guest food experience with pairings. Or if your restaurant leans more towards the spirits, then make sure you take the interactive course on spirits and food pairings. Knowing what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal can elevate their dining experience and help you improve your check averages to learn more about what diageo bar academy has to offer to grow your career visit www.diageobaracademy.com that's d-i-a-g-e-o baracademy.com become a member and be sure to opt into the newsletter today it's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer that's d-i-a-g-e-o baracademy.com now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Plate IQ card. With Plate IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. To learn more, head to plateiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about tech integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. And on top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes. Plus, you can compare actual costs versus theoretical costs. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. No contract, no setup fee. Plus, you'll get free unlimited training and support. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. 
With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, chef owner of Brazen Open Kitchen, Brazen Reserve, and Bird's Fried Chicken, Chef Kevin Sharp. My man, Kevin, are you feeling unstoppable today? Completely. Yeah, man. I cannot wait to dive into your story and to find out how you got to where you are today. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? People are drawn to things that are authentic and real, and yeah. that's inspiring. Yeah. So, how has that served you? How, how long did you realize? How long ago did you realize this? Man, I would say that uh, just through kind of natural evolution. You know, it's it's what motivated myself from the beginning to want to be authentic as a human being. You yep. know, and I think we're all on a journey to figure out who that is and to mm. build upon that. And lucky for me at a young age, um, I just was aware, you know, of what that feeling was without maybe knowing exactly what it was. And so uh, the, the essence of our business, everything that we do just comes from a, a genuine place and an authenticity that um, we don't try to make anything up. We don't try to, you know, we don't try to fool anybody with anything. We just give you something that's real. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you described it as a feeling, right? How does authenticity feel to you? What's the feeling you get? Um, I think it's the same feeling that you get when uh, you look at a piece of art that you don't understand, but you feel something mm. and, and it intrigues you. Yeah. It makes you want to search and, yeah. and dive into what that is. You're making me think, I can't remember where I heard this, but it's like people have this ability to detect fake art. Uh, and there was like the statue or something that was being, uh, you know, people are saying this was the real thing. And there was this art expert who was looking at it and they're like, it looks right. It looks right. But he just had this gut feeling that it was, it wasn't right. And he couldn't explain it, but it, that feeling made him push and push and push. And it turns out whatever the sculpture was, it was like a finger, like a fingernail, like a detail on the fingernail that wasn't right. And he ended up, he ended up proving it to be a fake. And there's this gut feeling we get. There's this low road that exists with, with inside of us. We know when something's bullshit, we, yep. we have bullshit meters, right? And I th- that's, that's what's coming to my mind as I hear you talk. You know, yeah, and it is. And and imagine if you take that same element and that same feeling and put it into a human element Mm. to where when you're surrounded by human beings and and you're trying to inspire, to be inspired, to lead, uh, to be led. Like if you have that same feeling, you know, imagine how much that piece of art that talks to you in a way with no words. Yeah. Like imagine if you put that that warmth and yeah. that and that feeling of a, the human element. And you see it in leadership. I also feel like would you say you see it within the like how you present yourself to the guest? Yeah, what one hundred percent. And you know, it's usually the uh, the road less traveled. Mm. You know, it's usually the path that not not many are willing to take. Uh, all of that encompasses. You know, uh, many of those things that we're talking about, um, most often than not, the easy road is, you know, I don't want to call it the fake road. That's not what I'm implying. But, you know, you lose a lot of essence down the easy road that you can gain taking the, the more difficult path. Love it, man. Great way to get this thing started. So where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Um, I would say as a child, you know, like what what made me who I am and and I would say that um just just a life that maybe 
wasn't like super difficult, but wasn't super easy. I don't come from uh, a wealthy family. I don't come from parents that were well off. Like I come from a super genuine lower middle class where my parents worked more than one job. What'd your parents do for work? Uh, so uh, we were in a really, really bad car accident when I was a young child. And oh, so man. that kind of like put a, a hindrance on what like my dad, my mom could do physically. Oh. So my dad uh, went from like gas station attendant to um, a janitor at the, the local high school. My mom was a, an aide at the school. Um, they both drove bus. All services, all service industry, all hospitality, working with people. And my dad is the kind of guy that could have a complete POS rust bucket as a vehicle. And you're going to see him outside uh, every Sunday waxing that thing. <laughs> and when I was a kid, I'd be like, Dad, what are you doing that thing like? That thing's shit. You know, like, why are you? Polishing a turd. And, and he's like, listen, he's like, it's the idea yes. of if this thing wasn't, like, you should treat it the same. Yeah. And, you know, that story has resonated with me my whole life. Hard work. You don't have to be the smartest person on the block, but if you can outwork the people that are around you, oftentimes it's crazy the amount of success that can come your way just by something so simple as being motivated and trying harder than other people. Showing up is the hardest part, man. It can be the hardest part. And if you can show up, man, it will give you an edge for sure. Uh, So when did you think that hospitality the, the the restaurant industry was going to be your path was there something uh, it was a young age i am very fortunate um i have one of those like uh you know few people have stories of like i found it very very young um i was a six man i'm a sports guy i loved playing sports i loved watching sports i never had the motivation to actually be the star or the starter i was good enough naturally to always get some playing time yeah but damn i could never get out there like right from the get-go you know and so the first time i ever cooked and was in a kitchen was when i was like whoa like and i'm sure it's the same thing lebron james and and tiger woods at at a certain age were like dang i might i might actually have something here what was it and and i think it was just the understanding the awareness like i had awareness in a kitchen it just made sense to me i'm a matrix guy i love the matrix yeah. and so to me it was almost as if i could i could read the code like right from the <laughs> get go you know i understood um personalities i understood how to have conversation i understood moods i understood like uh, i preach awareness to my kids until i'm blue in the face if you can have awareness yeah. and understand your surroundings um the way people are feeling the way the situation is headed man you are so much further in life than many 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 brother people. i gotta pull back layers on that what is awareness get deep into your preach yeah go through the the, the speech if you, if you I, I won't let shit get weird i promise but <laughs> uh, awareness is the the essential key to like life man it's it's the key to our success if we're not aware of ourselves the way we feel our emotions um how we might be portraying those um there's the uh, an, an onion doesn't even have close to enough layers to what awareness can really be in life. And so what's important to me is we start every day by being aware of our own mood, our own attitude, our own aura. How do you do that? And you just... You take a second and you think about it. You be aware. Like, it's, it's, it's being like cognitive enough to know I need to take a minute and just think about where I'm at. How am I feeling? 
Has my day been shitty? Is it starting off great? Whatever it is, take a Zen moment. And then from there, it's awareness of what do I need to do to be productive? What do I need to do to be um, inspiring today? Not for others, but for myself. Yeah. How do I inspire myself to want to be the best version of myself today? What does that take? Mm. Um, and then from there, it just continues throughout the day. Did you hold the door for somebody? Did you say thank you? Were you polite? Did you... You know, not cut someone off in your car because you're driving like a dumb dumb because you're not aware (laughs) of of your surroundings too. You walk in and the power of hello, when you walk into any place is the most powerful thing that you have and it takes awareness to understand that. When you walk in a room and you walk into work, the way you say hello to, to your other comrades and the people that you're setting the tone with for that day sets an entire day up, an entire day just by saying, hey guys, how's it going today? No matter how shitty you're feeling, no matter how you know bad the day or week is, you single-handedly have the power just by saying hello to set the tone for the next 8, 12, 16 hours of working side-by-side with these yes, people. Yes, man. I'm loving this. Where did you go to learn about awareness? Was, did you study this? Is, it, is this intuitive for you? Um, it's intuitive, and I think it comes from a, a sense of place of caring about human beings. If you have any natural care for what we're all doing. And a lot of this is going to sound like, damn man, like, you know, he's, he's got kind of like that hippie vibe going on and it's not, (laughs) it's just, it's a genuine science to back this up. It's a genuine sense of like, I care about every single person that not only works here, but that walks in the front door and it resonates through our hospitality and making good choices, real, authentic, genuine choices that that think about everybody involved I mean, and you're, not you're, just yourself. You're kind of getting into like evolutionary psychology and we're learning more and more about the wiring of the brain and why we are the way we are. And there's so much new stuff coming out and it's, it's this idea that we need each other. We're, we are tribal animals. We are, we are pack animals. And if you took a person and you put them out into the wild 12,000 years ago by themselves, they wouldn't make it. They needed the group. So we developed these, these things to, to be mindful of ourselves and how others perceive us because we needed others. We couldn't piss people off. You yeah. know, it's, it's very powerful stuff. Uh, man, uh, self-awareness too. That just is the peak of emotional intelligence in my opinion. So thank you so much for going there. Uh, so when did you start working in restaurants? How um, old were you? Yeah, I, I got my worker's permit when I was like 14 going into 15. Um, it all started with, a, I wanted to get a four wheeler. Uh, nice. uh, my friends had four wheelers and, and my mom and dad are like, listen, like we'll find a way to get you one, but you got to get a job. You know, you got to like pay into this. And I was like, cool. So I actually had a catering company that was right next to my house out of the back of their house. And so I just was went over there. Company? There was a catering company that was uh, next to us. Um, they ran it out of the back of their house in town of Galena, Illinois. That's where okay. I'm from. Okay. And um, I went over there and I was like, hey, can I get a dishwashing job? And my life changed. Like it was that it was that culture I loved. You know, I undiagnosed probably had ADHD. Like I was hard, like I couldn't focus on things like well and easy. Like I needed to be always on the move. I was very hyperactive. And so being in a kitchen with that culture, um, and who doesn't love at 15 to be around like somewhat vulgar adults? I still like, love it. <laughs> the hosp- yeah, the hospitality industry definitely is an environment like no other. That's you know? exactly what draws me to this yeah. industry too. It's like you can be yourself. You're allowed to be authentic. And in many other verticals, professional verticals, you're not allowed to be authentic. You have to put 
that professional face yeah, on. You have to do that too in a restaurant, but I feel like there's a better balance between accepting misfits, accepting the ragtag bunch of people. Like there's a little more wiggle room there. Wouldn't you agree? Um, I, I, I agree. No, okay. I agree a hundred percent. And I think it's what allows our industry to have so much culture, mm-hmm. have so much diversity, just diversity yeah. and, 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 and variables that you just don't necessarily get to experience, you know, in other parts of, of, of life. For so when, sure. when you were 15 years old, were you like, this is it. I found it. I'm on my way. This is my path. When I was 15, I found joy for the hard work, you know? Um, so when you, if anybody uh, knows that feeling when you're working out of like that, that hump that you got to get over, like right now you either dig down and you get dirty and you conquer, you conquer that hurt or you give up. Uh, try doing dishes on, on a Saturday night when you're getting your teeth kicked in and the dishes just pile up to the point where you don't think it's physically possible to complete that pile of dishes. It's the exact same feeling. And I love that feeling. I, I, I embrace that feeling and, um, I love testing myself. So at 15, you have dishes that look like could take you three days to do. And it's like, dude, I could either wimp out on this right now and just be like, I'm done. I quit. I'm, I'm too young for that, whatever it is. Or I can do it better than anybody who's ever done it in that kitchen and be a badass. Why not? Like, yeah. Let's be a badass. So you know, at what point did you start having a vision for yourself and where you wanted to be? And when did you start living intentionally to get there? Um, it was, it was very rapidly within that business of by the time I was like 16, 17 years old, I was allowed to go do, uh, events like on my own. And I was trusted to be like, the lead essentially of a, a 60 person grilled catered event wow. so and with the same uh, catering the same company. catering company. And so I, I learned at a very young age, like, Whoa, you know, like if I'm gaining trust already at this and, and it comes from, it, it goes from, sorry, like, uh, being like, like, Whoa to like, yeah, that's right. Like it clicks real fast of like, it's almost expected. So almost from 16, 17 years old, I've had an expectation of myself to be able to do things five years younger do you think than it was, what do you, anybody sorry. else would do. Do you think it was your dad that gave you this expectation because of these lessons he was teaching you about like just no matter what, no matter your situation, treat it like it's be grateful for it. Yeah. Right? Um, I think I, I think I had uh, naive awareness, you know, I think, I think it was there and I didn't know it was there. I paid attention more than I ever thought I probably yeah. did. So growing up, I was inspired by the way my parents worked, how hard they worked. Yeah. And you know what? They worked that hard and they still didn't have much Yeah, to work that hard and still not have much. Is- you, you give us a good example of how your dad influenced you. And you're saying my parents talk to us about your mom real quick and the, 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 the influence she had on you. Yeah. Um, when I break it down, my, my, my dad gave me a lot of the, the sensitivities. My dad gave me, um, definitely a lot of the, the, the work ethic. My mom gave me, uh, what I feel like is my, just my understanding, like without even knowing it. And I don't even know if she knows it and I don't even know if she does it really herself, um, in, in a way that she's probably aware of it. But I've learned so many nuances from her of who I am as a, as a business person, who I am, just the way I communicate. Um, she, she taught me a lot of that. I was her baby. I was the youngest of three boys. Um, just the way she like probably like cared and nurtured me versus maybe my other two brothers just instilled a lot of like, you know, my compassion, I think, even though she might not have like, 
as much as I do today, she definitely still like instilled this, like this little piece in me that I'm very thankful for. And so in no way is my dad, the one that like, you know, gave me, um, like all things great. Like they definitely together were a yin and a yang and man, they molded something special in me that I can't necessarily take credit for. Yeah. You talked about nurture. You talk about communication, which is what your mom kind of instilled in you. Pick a path, nurture or communication, and give me something granular, a lesson she gave you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a really, it's a really good question. Um, it's a, it's a culmination of like watching them go through like our accident. My mom probably took the worst end of all of it. Her leg got crushed. A lot of things just, you know, kind of transpired from our accident and, you know, she still persevered. She still like had as, as, as good of an attitude as you could possibly have from that point on. And, and still, you know, she still gets, you know, thrown just curveballs left and right. She's gone through a lot of health things and, you know, it's, it's taken her there. It's toll on her over the years, but as I was a child and watching and, and looking back on it, man, she really didn't let it completely beat her down. And she still, we lived a life and we still got it done. She still allowed me to try to live the best life I could, even though she might not have been in a situation to pull it off as easy prior to the accident versus it happened, you know? Beautiful. So thank you for getting into that detail. Beautiful stuff, man. Uh, so you're in this kitchen, you're catering, you go from 15, not having any experience in the, in the, in the, 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 I guess, food and beverage industry to leading teens at the age of 17. What did you learn about what were the early lessons? Did you have any key mentors during this time that really helped mold who you are today as a professional? You know, um, I always love the idea of, of a mentor. When that question's asked or when people talk about it, uh, I think that's a conversation all in itself. Like, cause I get it with, with the younger chefs coming in now. Like I want a mentor. I want someone that mentoring to me when I was younger was back to that famous word again, was awareness, you know, being aware of your surroundings. I was mentored by, I was mentored by just the business itself, watching every detail. Um, Rick Stark was the gentleman with Brenda. I uh, was his wife who owned it. And did they do anything specifically by themselves to like mentor me? Maybe not so much, but did I pay attention to everything they did while they were running their business? Observation. 100%. And I'm not trying to take credit for it. I'm just trying to say the younger you can, can, you can learn that awareness and the observation, the more everything is mentoring you. You have mentorship all around you every day that you go to work. Yeah. There's mentorship there. You've got to be able to see it yep. and be able to absorb it. That is experience. That is constantly taking in the data and learning when you're not even aware of it, right? Just by being present, by being yep. there. Uh, so can we timestamp this? What, when, what was night, when you were 17 years old, what, what year was that? Oh, geez. Um, so I'm 35. We're 2022. So let's go back 10 years. 13 be, years or yeah, 23 yeah, years ago. Yeah. Is that right? 23 years? Is that my, my math? My math would be 20 years ago. Yeah, 20, 20 years yeah, ago. 20 years okay. ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can tell we're in the restaurant. <laughs> math isn't our thing. We're yeah, people, people. Um, so uh, where, where did you, when did you break away? Like to get like super aerial real quick. Like I say, we're going to get in our airplane. We're going to zoom up to 30,000 feet and without getting into any detail, just drop the, the stops you made along the way. Yeah. So um, I went. From there, knowing that I wanted to go to culinary school, so then I went to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota for Le Cordon Bleu. Yeah. 
And then I did my externship in New York City at Restaurant Danielle. And then I came back and um, have been in the area ever since. And so I was at the Diamond Joe Casino for uh, the longest part of my career, learned the most, and then I opened Brazen. So it's kind of the aerial view of of my uh, career. Okay. So um, did I see a hotel uh, La... La Fugasse. So Hotel Sofitel um, is the hotel. Okay. And then La Fugasse was the fine dining restaurant within the hotel. And I got my ass kicked there. (laughs) Do you want to get into it? Uh, Sure. That came after culinary school, um, During 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 culinary school, yeah. And um, it was my first like true French big city. And you have to remember when I went to school in 2004 into five, Hotels at the time were like the jobs to have. Like all of this, like super dope independent chef owned restaurants weren't a thing. Like they just, they barely existed. So you tried to get into the best, nicest hotel you could find with the nicest fine dining restaurant. And so for me, that was, um, that was uh, Hotel Sofitel while I was in school. And La Fugas was the fine dining restaurant that, Man, it rocked my world. It really gave me an understanding of like, shit, this is what I got into the business for. Like, this is not only tough, but rewarding. And and it has a whole new avenue that I didn't even know existed. What was the toughest part for you? Um, Just the expectations of you, you know? Like, I'd never worked a job that had such high expectations. Mm-hmm. It was a grind every day. Show up. Like show up every day. Like I thought I was showing up. Like I had a chip on my shoulder. Like I'm, I'm great, man. I'm really, really good at this. Well, you know, go to the big city for the first time to one of the nicest hotels and the nicest restaurants. What city was this? Um, it was in Minneapolis. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I got humbled pretty quickly, but um, at the same time, I used it as fuel, you know, and, and it really helped me understand like what direction I wanted to head. And then from there, you said, I mean, well, before we move forward, I mean, any professors, any key mentors here at this at this hotel restaurant? No, nope. once again, it was it was still just kind of experience. Got you it. know, I, I was kind of low enough on the totem pole where, you know, it's it's hard to have real mentorship when you're kind of just you're there to get a job done, you know. Yeah. And so I looked up to what people were doing, but that was more naturally on my own. Not I was never taken under a wing per se. Yeah. Did you ever have a low moment during this time? So you got your, your teeth kicked in. Did you have like a, a point where you're just like, am I? Cut no, for this? no, okay. loved it. Uh, okay. it. The harder it got, the the more I loved it. Um, I was doing school full time, plus I worked like fifty five hours a week there. How, how many years were you in school? Um, so the Le Cordon Bleu program at the time there was a straight through. Um, so we just got like two weeks off. Um, for some of the holidays, so it was like a year and like three months is okay. kind of the program. Nice. So I'm assuming you graduate probably around 2006. Yep. On that timeline. Yep, early. That's, yep. Okay. So um, on the subject of culinary school, where do you land on the spectrum of is it should people go to culinary school or should people not go to culinary school? Do you do you think you would? There's be where no. You are today? There's no. There's no answer for for everybody. It's individualized. Um, I went to culinary school. I did my thing. Um, I'm debt free from it, and I'm I'm proud to say that because that's a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. But I had to make choices to get to that point, and so you've really got to be aware of what your desires are. You have to understand like what your path is going to look like because what youth need to understand, they have way more power 
in that path than what they give themselves. What do you mean they get, have way more power? Who, you have they, choice. The, who's they? They is, 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 and really it shouldn't even be considered next generation because there's adults right now that need to understand that you have the power. You have the power of choice. You have the power to create as much of that path as possible. And, and damn, you can, and you can create a quite a bit of it and a little luck needs to come along the way, but luck is also something that you set up. You can't always be lucky. So someone wins the lottery without buying a lottery ticket. They still had to go in and get a ticket and start setting up the path for that luck to happen. Luck just doesn't come to you without you doing anything. Yeah. So I think sometimes the word luck is really like not understood, you know, I think it comes back to awareness, right? You're just kind of on this roller coaster they call life. You're making choices. All those choices have, it's a butterfly effect, right? Like you're aligning stars. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but you, you, you're so right. And I, I've been echoing this a lot lately. You have choices and this career, the hospitality industry, if you're good at this, if you have a talent for this, you have a ticket to anywhere in the world. I think it's so important. It's so important to echo this to young people because if you do choose the path of culinary school, and I've, in my experience, people who go to culinary school, who go later in life, like 23, 24, they always get so much more out of it. And you can go travel and get that experience in from like 18 to 22, and you have the energy, you have the endurance, and like you can learn so much. Um, what are your thoughts as I'm saying this? Um, I love it and and i agree and i think everybody um you know individualized it depends on what you're looking for you know if you're looking for more of a corporate you know scenario go go to go to culinary school right away get that education and then find a good corporate environment Mm -hmm. to get into you know the hotels are are not a terrible environment if you're looking for you know stability and insurance there's nothing wrong in that some people think that's like the you know the cheap way out or like the the or casinos casino the casino environment is the only reason why i am sitting here today in this restaurant talking to you is from my my experience in the casino and the leadership and a lot of the things that I learned came from that. Where place. is the casino on your timeline? I don't even. So the, the casino is the nine years before um, I actually opened Brazen. So okay. it was uh, the tail end of, you know, me kind of doing all the things that I did. I moved back. Um, my wife and I um, have been together since we were 14 years old. So we always kind of knew that we were coming back to this area. We were going to get married. We we're going to have a family. So I came back early. And started started my career in what I thought would be the most stable, you know, and it's and it's ironic because I never thought I was going to own a restaurant. I never chased like thinking I was going to own a restaurant. Um, I went through the struggles of, of trying to figure out, like, what can you do with this business and this industry and this career? Like, how do I how do I live somewhat of a normal life? And then it clicked to me, like, what is a normal life? You know, like what, what is that idea? Like, does it have to be Monday through Friday, nine to five? Um, who's to say that that would make me happy, you know? So man, once again, we're, we're still talking about all things, self-awareness. There's not a single thing that we've talked from the beginning of this conversation until now that hasn't kind of reverted back to like, like 
how do you know what those feelings are? How do you know what's going to make you happy? And it took a little while. My wife and I have gone through uh, a lot of bumps and bruises of this industry of, you know, she would love to have me home at five o'clock every night and us have a family meal and, and us do all those things that we've grown up thinking is normal. But I'd also argue that, uh, you know, you have a choice to, to kind of create your own normal and to create your own happiness. And what does that look like? So yeah, maybe I might not be around Monday through Friday, nine to five, but you know, when am I around and what are we doing when I am around yeah. and how do we enjoy that time? There's no reason why you can't make that, uh, the new happiness or the new norm. Yeah. And I think this rings true today more than ever before. Cause we were forced to slow down to get like internalize what's going on, where we are in life. We, we are so go, 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 go. We're always head down this industry that we never have a time to really just stop and think and reflect. And I think it's really important that we collectively as an industry ask, where do we want to go next? What's next? How can we collectively choose to do something different instead of just follow the status quo for all this time? What are you, do you, what's, what's going through your mind when I say that? Yeah, I would, you know, it's something post, and I don't even know if I can say post COVID because we still have remnants of it, and it still, still kind of it still yeah. lingers. But uh, I'll, I'll use it for a reference. Post COVID, like I, I don't know, like I don't know where we are at or where we should be mentally moving forward. Um, because I'm conflicted. Mm. I have, I have, I have feelers on both sides. So if, and, and once again, I'm going to use a sports reference. If we just went to the, the, the next generation, young Tiger Woods, LeBron James, and said, you want to know what? You just, you just shouldn't be practicing so much. Like, you should practice way less. And, and don't try to master. Don't try to master that. There's, 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 nothing, there's nothing to benefit from, from being that good at that sport. Would we do that? Like, would we tell LeBron James to, to not be who he is today? Would we tell Tiger Woods, shame on you for the 10 million golf swings that you took from whatever <laughs> yeah. age that you took? So what is the difference in, say, myself working 70 hours a week in this industry since I can almost remember, but being happy doing it and finding success in doing it how do I tell the next person in line to not do that? Like, how do I not champion them as long as they can find mental stability and be happy and, and enjoy it along the way? How do I tell them shame on you for working so much? Yeah. And shame on you for chasing a career and finding success in that career if that is what makes you happy. I just don't think you can do that. I don't think you can tell you know, Steve Jobs. I don't think the, the Bezos of the world, the, you know, Elon Musk of the world, like, no, just, just don't do that much. Yeah. I take, take a, take a chill pill and slow down and just, and just don't work that hard and, and find a balance in life when maybe you don't need that balance in life. Maybe you are happy in, and it's not for everybody. And that's why I'm telling you, I am, I'm, I'm torn because there's people that do need the balance, but within those people that think they might need the balance could also be some amazing individuals that could do some great things if they're given the right guidance. I hear what you're saying. I definitely feel that perspective. I'm going to throw a curveball at you though. Would you say a lot of the people that we celebrate today for achieving this greatness 
would you say they all have mental stability? Have they found balance? Like what did they sacrifice to get that? And we glorify it, right? We say, this is what we all have to do to be happy and successful. Do you think that all these people we exemplify and we, 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 you know, hold up on a pedestal because of what they have achieved? Do you think that they all are normal in the sense of like maybe they might have a disorder or, or like, you know, or agree. I agree 100% <laughs> and that's where you get torn. But yeah, I would also agree that at the very beginning of this conversation, we talked about a road less traveled mm. and a road that most people don't want to take. I would argue that many of them took that path. Yeah. And so you've got to take all good with yeah. some bad. Yeah. We can't, we can't live a life where it's all good. It just, it just doesn't, it's not in the the. I hear you. It's not in, it's not in our spectrum mm. of life to just everything can just be good. like you have to endure some hardships. You have to, you've got to have you know some roadblocks along the way to to make you you know better and and to form you into the person you want to be. And so, um, I agree with everything. I think there's truth in what I've said. I think there's truth in in your curveball 100% because It's not clear and cut. You mean, you know, it's I would argue example. that many of those people yeah. end up not being happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of those people end up having regret. But it doesn't take away their accomplishment mm-hmm. and and what they found a way to do that many people can't. And so yes, I think we need to practice better stability along the way. I think we need to champion better brain power along the way. I think we need to help people understand how to navigate what that path looks like. Yeah. I don't think we should say that that path shouldn't be traveled. You know, I think we need to find a way to champion, you know, the the whole process versus only wanting to champion the end result. Yes, I can get behind that. I love that, man. So back to your timeline. Uh you graduate college, you go to Restaurant Danielle. Yeah. yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Restaurant it's a strip Danielle, Danielle right? Yeah, right? It's not like fancy or anything. No, I always bring a mistake because no, it sounds too there's simple. There's no like French twang. It's not like, <laughs> I'm not even going to try. It's just Danielle. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, what straight I thought. Up. Uh, so, I mean, we can't just skip over that because I feel like this is a... Uh, this is one of these individuals that just have that that reputation of excellence, right? Uh, this had to have meant or, or it made an impression on you. Did it? It, it did. And, and looking back on it, it was, it was so cool. Like how it influenced me was so much further than food. Um, to be truthful, like the food probably influenced me the least about that experience. It was, it was people culture. It was hospitality. It was understanding. Um, every single one of these people in here has this deep rooted passion for food and and to create this experience that that just is so rewarding that like stuck with me like my my whole life and i would say that there's so much influence um and someone that i can put out there in the industry that is a great example of that is uh gavin Kazin uh in minneapolis he is uh i'll call him a, a descendant of the uh the danielle uh empire and you can you can see similarities in almost all the people that have ever you know worked for him with him in many of his restaurants um it's just just this idea of hospitality and wanting to make people happy it's where it came from and so um that's what influenced me the most at that restaurant not like a a style of food i don't i and and i can't even remember half the things that i prepped or any of those things but dude like just the way people were resonated with me. So like, I remember 
every ounce of that. Let's pull back some layers on Gavin Kaysen. Um, how did he approach work? Go back at that time where you're seeing him, where, like you said, so many times you just observe, you're present, you're aware. What was he doing? How did he tackle things? What, what, in what ways has, has he formed who you are today? So for me, um, so Gavin has a similar story, um, and he is a uh, an industry powerhouse of inspiring young chefs to understand that like you can go home. So you can be in a big city, you yes. can have that experience, but you can still do something like special in areas. So at the time when, when Gavin went back to uh, Minneapolis, I've never worked for Gavin. So I just want to put that out there. I've just been inspired by okay. um, awareness of the industry, paying attention to chefs. Um, and so with that being said, what he's done with his businesses in Minneapolis, like paying attention to a lot of those things, he opened up a year uh, before Brazen opened up or right around the same time. And so there's so many similarities in just the approaches because I think we've been inspired by the same root, the same seed. And, and I give a lot of that to Danielle where Gavin got to work for Danielle in a way that I did not. I did my stage there for three months. Um, I had a very light uh, inspiration from that where Gavin was actually his uh, executive chef of his cafe. So he had a lot more. Yeah. But I still see like what those paths look like and there's a lot of like similarities. So why do you think people didn't think they could go home? Um, I think we underestimate the demand. I think we like to assume and uh, predict like what we think the consumer is, uh, where we're coming from. It happens all the time. Um, you know, I see it all around, even in some of these markets where you find out like, oh man, they worked at the French Laundry. They worked at all these places and they came home and they opened like a supper club. Yeah. But like, like kind of like a bougie or a supper club. And it's like, gosh, like once again, they came back to the Midwest and they think like a supper club is, is like done maybe 2022 style, but still like it's the essence and, and who knows, maybe that's the food they just want to cook now and, and so on and so forth. But I give that example is because you oftentimes just predict what you think is the only way you can find success in these markets. Yeah. And because of those choices that we make, we suppress it ourselves. Yeah. I would make the argument that you're better off going home today's market there's such star like we have, i think i think it's safe to say that or you can make the argument that cultures are bleeding together you don't really have regionality like you did 50 years ago like you do today it's yep. just not like we we can see into the the world of every city and we're sharing things and we're exposing you to, like you have media like never before we're getting this influence people want things in there they want to be able to get this stuff at home you don't want to have to go to new york city to get culture and to get exposure to different things there's so much opportunity to bring that to the the midwest or to the south or to the north where there just isn't this type of stuff you can stand out much easier you have less competition go to the big city get the experience and and bring that back home i encourage you to do it there's so much more opportunity in the momentum market or the fringe markets that are on the edge what's going through your mind Social media, um, yeah. you, you could literally not have ever traveled to New York City in your entire life, and you could be like the most well knowledge of the scene. Yeah. You know, if you follow chefs, if you enjoy food, so it's cool. 
like even for me, like the, the top chef experience and everything else and just getting a little bit of that, that TV time, even in this market, there's so many more people now that are familiar with yeah. what's out there without even necessarily have truly experienced it themselves physically, but they have been every morning, every night, every lunch break because they're intrigued and they're interested. So hop on your, your Instagram game and shoot your following, you know, chefs in Minneapolis in the South and the, in New York city, Chicago, and you're, and you're aware. So now all of a sudden when someone who wants to come home, comes home and says, Hey, I'm opening this restaurant. And by the way, I worked for Grant Atkins in Chicago. Yep. Now all of a sudden, way more people at home or in these smaller markets are like, dang, like that's yeah. what you worked. Like I've never been, but I know, like I'm aware this is awesome. I, Has instant impact. There's another layer to this too, where I, I also think that from like a sociological and economical standpoint too, we need to spread out. We, we need to take this money that's in the city. We need to spread that out to the Midwest, to the smaller cities. And I think it's better for mental health, societal health. Like we are better when we spread out. Yep. You know, I think it's just, it will, I think this is part of like when I say, well, like what's the transformation, like it's inspiring power and transform. I think this kind of plays into it. Do you think it has a role? Um, I think it does. And I think a lot of that mental health that you're talking about too is, is life experience. Um, there, there's nothing wrong with like continuing to live in a place that makes you feel comfortable, but like also offers the things that you think you need to go chase in like yeah. a big city. I mean, so bring those back home and, you know, Brazen is a great example of doing exactly that in Eastern Iowa. Yeah. Um, so many of our corporate uh, companies here like rely on showing like brazen as an experience to when they're recruiting from, you know, say Michigan, uh, Minnesota, New York, Chicago, like all these different places. It's like, listen, like we can also offer that here. And mm. so many people will be like, if I can't go to a nice restaurant or if I can't have a little bit of that, you know, that date night, that, that date night life, whatever it is, then I don't know if I can live there. Yeah. So you spent six years at Diamond. Was it the giant Diamond? What's J.O. Uh, so Diamond Joe Casino. Joe Casino. Yeah, okay, Diamond so Joe that Casino. was the casino. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, what brought you here? Um, I think at, at, at some point, I think we all hit like a shelf life and a ceiling, you know, and then we, we, we search for what that next thing is. And so... I had learned a lot of the things that I wanted to learn. Um, I felt good. I, I was in a place where I really understood like where I was at in my career. And so um, just, it was time. It was, it was kind of like a now or never. Um, I was 26, 27 years old when uh, we started, you know, thinking about the restaurant and it was, it was just time to pull the trigger. On and this it. is in Dubuque. So you're back home at this. Yeah. Point, right? Yep. I'm back home the whole time. Would you say you, you grew the most here as a professional I mean, you spent oh, six years. Down. So yeah. how did you grow? Who were you going into that? Um, uh, young. You know, I mean, I think almost all chefs when they're young are, are arrogant in some way. You know, they got a chip on their shoulder. This is like 2010, 2011. Yeah. So this would have probably, no, it might have been even earlier, like 2008 I okay. think, is when I started there. So you had a chip um, on your shoulder. You just yeah. came out of the big city. You just yeah. went for restaurant Danielle. Yeah. Like, so when did you get, how did you get humbled? Did you get humbled? Um, yeah, I got, I got humbled by, um, probably more of the management and understanding people is when I realized that the diamond Joe, like it's not just about like who can cook the best food. There's so many amazingly talented chefs or cooks out there that can produce food. That's 
unfathomable. Like, geez, how did you create that? How'd you do that? This is tasty as hell. But when it comes to social settings and being able to lead and inspire and get an entire team of people to do something, oh, dang. Like, okay. you ain't very good at that, you know? So like, how did you, what did you, what were the biggest lessons you learned about the social environment, how to lead, how yeah. to in, in motivate people? So one, it's, it's corporate. Being in a corporate structure helps you understand just, you know, not only HR, but it just, it helps you understand just how you can make, you know, a hundred plus people under one roof with different entities from, you know, the casino side of it to the food and beverage side of it. Like, so you see that structure, you know, and so that should be influencing you in some way. And then internally, you know, if you can go into a kitchen and find someone who's like 55, 60 years old, who's literally there just to put a little extra money in their IRA, uh, make sure they have insurance and ultimately get a paycheck to do the same job and inspire them as the 21 year old or the 20 year old who's hoping to go to culinary school and wants to learn everything that they possibly can about food. Imagine a kitchen with like 40 to 50 of all of those different mindsets that you've got to lead and inspire to try to get the same goal and the same outcome through different, different paths and and takes on what their, what their job is. You You said you learned about, structure what structure you saw what structure look like can you describe that structure the framing of that structure yeah we, we all need structure you know um that, that that's a given everything throughout our life has some kind of structure don't don't our parents uh want us to make our bed in the morning and then we eat breakfast and then we brush our teeth and we do all these things that are structure same thing with your job you know finding routine and structure to help us be the most successful at that as we possibly can let's master a routine so that's what it did for me is it like it helped me understand that not everybody's the same under one roof and we've got to have a goal. So it taught me how to learn to have a goal. And then ultimately how do we inspire to get people? How do we help them understand what things they need to do to accomplish that goal? Um, it's all a part of the same process. You know, it's, it's leadership, it's structure. It's just, that's what a corporate environment typically should be doing for you. So how do you inspire people to accomplish a common goal? Um, I, First of all, try to do it by leading by example, you know? Um, so my first, my first goal that I inspire at Brazen is being genuine and, and being, um, authentic. And at the end of the day, being a hella good person, because believe it or not, if you're just a hella good person, everything else just kind of follows suit and you can do some good shit by being a good person. So that's our number one goal is every single person that ever walks into Brazen, like, dude, I don't even care about food right now. I just care about you, you making good life choices, you being committed to this job and, and the demand that that's going to have on you is, uh, or from you is just show up, be prompt, just be good, you know, have a good hello, say hi every day, say bye every day, um, invest in the human beings that are here. <laughs> You know, now you're making me feel like a jackass because I didn't even recognize you when I walked in. <laughs> I'm like, is this him? It looks great. different. <laughs> That's funny, but so like that, it starts with that, and and it starts with a reminder. It starts with a poke, you yeah. know, like you know, just a nudge, and so it starts with that area and then it's like diving in like who are you what makes you tick what do you really want to do with yourself at the end of the day every great restaurant shouldn't just be focused on creating the best chefs it should be focused on creating the best humans and i say this to every single person that ever works here 
I don't care if you don't want to be a chef five years from now. That's great. I want you to make sure that you allow Brazen to make you the best version of yourself to go crush whatever you're going to be in five years. I love it, man. I really do. This has been awesome. Uh, So you you said that you learned about how to set goals. What was your goal when you, what was the goal you established for yourself during this time at Diamond? Um, it was continuing to do things at an age that made people like, whoa, that's always been a career like constant for me. Like when I was younger, especially a little bit more probably like cocky is like, I, yeah, I wanted to be someone that opened a restaurant when I figured it out, like younger than what most people would. I wanted to be someone that got to an executive sous chef or an executive chef younger than what most people um, would, would normally get a chance to do that. And, and it wasn't to like be able to brag. It was to be able to prove that like I was ahead of my time with like being able to understand maturity. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to always be older than what I really was, you Mm. know? And, and you're ultimately chasing the reward for that. I love it, man. So at what point did you say to yourself, okay, I'm ready to move on from where I am now? Well, actually we talked about where you were, how, what, as far as your evolution, who you were when you went in, went into Diamond, how you had a chip on your shoulder, a little bit of an ego, you got humbled a little bit. Who were you towards the end of your time at Diamond? Um, confident. Yeah, just confident in who I was. What made you feel confident? Um, just experience. Yeah, you know, I think that's what we all lean on. Um, normally, the more experience you have with something, the more you understand something, the more confident you're going to be. Did you say you're there for six years or nine years? Uh, I think it was like eight. I think it was okay. somewhere right around eight. So years. right around yeah. 2014, 2015 is when you started yep. to transition out. Yeah. Where were you then? Um, I was ready. I was okay. hungry. Okay. Um, you know, I, it's, it's a transition period that we all experience from job to job. So I was probably coming down off of the diamond Joe because I hit my ceiling and you know, I really didn't have anywhere else to go. And I wanted to continue to, to offer more than what was expected. And sometimes that has a shelf life. You can only yeah. do that for so long before it's like, if I'm at the end of the road, like how, yeah. it's hard to continue to like go so down that road. When you were transitioning out, did you have something lined up? Did you have another opportunity? Yep, the or- restaurant. The brazen. So you yep. you had a goal to open brazen. Correct. Yeah. Uh, okay. Now is a good time to take our first break to thank our sponsors. And we'll be right back. To talk about how you executed this. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. And you've been hearing me talk about Diageo Bar Academy on my podcast for some time now. Uh, Diageo Bar Academy is a totally free resource for bartenders, bar managers, and those in the hospitality industry. Today, I want to tell you about some of these amazing new e-learning courses they have available right now. And again, a reminder, Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level. So back to these courses, like the two courses on beer category and Guinness Essentials, just in time for St. Patrick's Day too. You'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pint every time. Learn about different beer styles and even how to enhance your guest food experience with pairings. Or if your restaurant's more geared towards the booze, if you want to learn more about balancing flavors with spirits and food pairings, take the interactive course Spirits and Food Pairings. Knowing what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal can elevate the dining experience and help your check average. Diageo Bar Academy online courses offer real life skills to help you grow in your career. They are always free, interactive, and each e-learning course takes less than 30 minutes. 
and you receive a certificate upon completion, which you can view on your profile at any time. To learn more about what Diageo Bar Academy has to offer to grow your career, visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt into the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. We are back and we are at the point in your journey where you decide that you have the confidence, you have the experience you you need to move forward and open and brazen. So what was your strategy? What made, like, did you have connections? Did you have things lined up? Why, why Dubuque? I think something that my time at the Diamond Joe um, allowed me to kind of explore was community understanding like what our community was what what is the town or the city of dubuque what do they need you know and and quite frankly the state of iowa like we're still in the middle of it like we don't give ourselves enough credit you know we don't we don't do it we complain about it we'll complain about how we've never had a james beard finalist we've had we've had a few semi-finalists but like we'll complain about how we never get that that opportunity for something you know, further than that, like how come we can't play in the same league as, as some of the bigger cities or, or even Madison and Milwaukee and Minneapolis for our, uh, our area, I'll say. And it's, it's because we don't, we don't believe it. We don't exercise it. We don't actually, we don't do it. And so for me, that's what brazen was, was I kind of wanted it. Hence the name brazen. I wanted to, kind of confront that in a genuine way. I didn't want to like show people they were wrong. I didn't want to come in and be like, we're doing something that nobody's done before and and we're going to prove a point. Maybe that's why we've been non-successful at it or unsuccessful at it. Like, why haven't we tried to do this in a way that we believe so you're that saying we're before ready. this, you felt like we're unsu- before you opened Brazen, you felt like we're unsuccessful at it. Before I opened Brazen, I felt like even just the state of Iowa in general didn't give itself enough credit in the movement that we should be in in that time. You know, seven years ago, most people would have told you, "No way in hell can Brazen have success in debut." Are you saying there wasn't enough collective confidence? Correct. So if and there wasn't enough consumer confidence okay, as so well. Okay, so if you don't believe it, who's going to believe it? Exactly. Right. Um, do you think we put too much pressure and define ourselves too much on James Beard Awards? Um, okay, what a great question the year that I actually got nominated. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, because it, I, and the irony of the James Beard Award this year was the first year that I almost – that I actually just stopped paying attention almost. Okay. And, and so it, it happened the year that I almost like, I don't want to say g- gave up, but I kind of gave up, yeah. you know, like I, I kind of like lost hope for, you know, and, and this is where I should find like the political route to take, but I, I'm an open book and I'm an honest person. Like, man, it, it sometimes sucks to be in these smaller markets doing what you know is being done in the bigger markets and sometimes you're getting shamed for the same thing we've been talking about. It's a lack of understanding the consumer when we have a hella good consumer. Yeah. Our consumer is pushing us further than I ever could have imagined. But nobody would know that until they actually came here and experienced what the consumer's like. So um, oftentimes awards are 
are are based in bigger cities. Um, it's marketability, sellability. Like, I mean, I get it, man. Like, you know, at the end of the day, James Beard's largest, you know, donors and, and the people that support this thing, which it is amazing. They're not coming from they're not coming from Dubuque, Iowa. Yeah. They're not coming from Des Moines. They're not coming from these Iowa places. They're coming from the bigger cities. What did you mean by shamed for not understanding the consumer? I don't quite understand. Meaning like the the the, the um you know the recognition, the the understanding of like what's really going on, the 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 traveling to these areas to understand what we've really started accomplishing. Um, Where's the shame? Who's the shame on the restaurant? Uh, uh, the shame is just on on our yeah the restaurant and the consumer of like you know we're, we're kind of being just you know like uh, what do you want to call it? We're, we're just being just categorized as like all oh, like the the simple Midwest maybe, or we're in these areas where you just wouldn't expect. You know, some of these things. People aren't too. looking here, maybe? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so, um, and, and that goes everywhere. It's not like just Iowa is the only one that's waving that that flag. Um, it's, it's just rural, smaller towns. I don't have an answer for it. And to be honest with you, I don't blame something like the James Beard Awards for like, being in the situation they've been in, I think they did a, a better job this year of trying to shine light on like, hey, we're going to try harder to get our fingertips deeper and further into, um, you know, the, the the interstates, you know, versus, you know, the, the cities. How do we get out into the, 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 the populace of where, you know, it might not be as populated, but some hella good things are happening. Got it. So back to your timeline. Uh, you you have the confidence. You're ready. You 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 want to build. You you recognize the importance of community, and you want to be a part of this community. What was the first step for you opening your restaurant? What did you have to do? Support. Where did you, you know, get the support? Yeah, um, I you know the the building owners were catalysts in and getting this off their ground. Uh, John and Mary Gronin um, are the. Uh, pioneers of risk taking in Dubuque they've they've jumped into uh really they were the the starting point of the Millwork district where we're located they took on the 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 first building and restored it and so I approached them and did from, you know them before this um nope just through a realtor just uh they had a space available brazen where it's located yeah. uh oh, we saw it and we thought what a what a hell of a good space to go into, and so my executive chef actually at the time of the Diamond Joe, him and I were were wanting to do it together, and so that's how we initially started searching and and created that bridge. So what does a hell of a good space look like? Um, man, you've gotta you've gotta have. Uh, Are you sure you're not from California? Yeah, <laughs> you you've gotta have a vision. You, you've yeah. gotta be able to see past. Um, you know, a, a dump. And, and so it, luckily for us, it wasn't necessarily a dump, but it had dirt floors. The concrete that we're sitting on currently uh, while we do this um, wasn't here. This was all dirt and you had to have a vision of what it could look like. And it was instant. The second I saw it, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. What about, well, do you have any concerns with permitting or the physical space, uh, getting your licensing? I your- had no idea what any of that meant, man. I was, I was 28 <laughs> years old and I was, it was so cool. I was flying by the seat of my pants and I was just like, I was loving every minute of it. I just, I, I, there wasn't anything that I didn't want to try to conquer, you know? So where, where was, where, what was the space? I mean, these buildings are clearly old buildings. They're, they're brick buildings to paint the picture for the listener. We're in a, a, a is it a mill building? Is that what these were? It's, a, it's an old uh, millwork district. Yeah. And so we are actually sitting, um, there's about four bays that all line up. 
uh, the restaurant takes up like three of them, two and a half, three of them. Uh, they were the old kilns. It's where they dried the wood. Uh, we have a train track uh, out in front of the restaurant here where they used to uh, transfer the wood to all the different milling parts of uh, the neighborhood. So what was in the space before you made it a restaurant? Was it another restaurant? Nothing. Nope, there wasn't anything. This building was actually vacant for uh, many, many years. So what are the pros and cons to that? Um, it's risky. You know, when we originally opened Brazen, we were the only restaurant in uh, a many block radius and you've got to hope that people want to come you know you're a destination yeah it's not that today there's businesses all around you this is now seven years later eight years later correct yeah so what happened here did you did you know that this this area was on the come up was this part of what john and mary were trying to do yeah uh i think john and mary definitely had a vision and a hope and so uh, I think they were inspired by the third ward in Milwaukee, um, even like the North Loop uh, in uh, Minneapolis, West Loop in Chicago. Who, like these yeah. are all areas that are just like they bones. were it's just bones. Yeah. But, but this is exactly bones. what I'm saying. Like the Midwest and these cities, these these medium to smaller size cities during the the like the beginning of the 20 the 20th century all these cities were vacated because the opportunity in these cities dried up and you had to go to the big cities to find work and to find opportunity. But the bones are here and there's so much opportunity and we don't rely on the big cities anymore on big, big on opportunity. All these corporations are going to the smaller communities because they're seeing that we can, you know, it's more affordable. We can stretch our dollar. So I think that this is where you want to be. And like, there's such good bones in these cities. What was John and Mary? What were they doing before? Who, who are they? Um, they, uh, I mean, I think this is their slogan. They're, they're, they're catalyst for the community. They, um, they, they buy buildings and they restore them and then they, they help revitalize, you know, areas they've, they've done it on uh, main street, uh, here in Dubuque, um, they're a huge part of our success in the Millwork District. Uh, they're good people, good genuine people that uh, have a vision, you know. And it's it's exactly what's happened. Yeah. It's what you see in the Millwork right yeah. now. So, did you have a partner? Did you mention a partner that you you're, you're doing this with? Um, at, at the beginning, and then it quickly uh, I bought them out, and we uh, are where we are today. Uh, my wife and I have owned it uh, almost from year one. Um, by ourselves and it's it's been just a wild ride we've gotten a crash course i think i got a phd in uh in psychology and business by now uh <laughs> by seven years into the restaurant no doubt so who was your partner you mentioned his name but i, I, I escaped my mind so um so john nelson at the beginning is uh, a really really good chef friend of mine um he who he is who was going to go in on this uh with me originally and then he um he just it just wasn't the right time you know yeah, so yeah. um we don't have to get into detail unless you think there's something that we can learn from that uh so you and john approach sorry you and was john nelson two johns yep you and john approach john and mary uh and what's the conversation look like how did you convince them to give them the space um you know it was probably a rocky start when a, a 27-year-old kid is is kind of coming to you with like, a, hey, I have a great idea for a restaurant. You can't imagine that their experience is, is too extensive, you know, and yeah. you probably have a lot of question marks. Yeah. So, um, but I knew the picture I wanted to paint. And, and I How think, did you sell it? Uh, I just, 
I just spoke truly to what I felt and, and what I wanted to do and, and, and the vision that I had. And, um, they loved it. So and what was the vision? What did you want to do? You already mentioned some of this stuff. Like you want your, your goals were to be true, authentic, genuine, and just good. But is that what you were telling them? Um, probably not in those words at the beginning. I, I probably wasn't mature enough to understand that's where it was going to go. Um, I, I probably came into it a little bit more like uh, understanding the the sex appeal of restaurants and doing something that's a little bit different and exciting. And, you know, I sold understanding a big city concept, but putting it into a more, you know, neighborhood vibe, a more like putting small the big city. city in reach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and they loved it because they're well-traveled. And so it resonated with them almost instantly of like, that's what we've been waiting for. So did you have any money put away? Um, I did not. Nope. Where were you going to get the money? Um, just had to, had to find capital. Did you, you know, know how much you needed? Um, not until, uh, I started learning about, you know, P and L's and forecast and, and everything else. And so lucky for me, um, like I have pretty quick, like intuition on like, just understanding like, Hey, shoot, we don't know this. We've got to learn it. And so my wife and I, joke all the time and like we damn near opened a restaurant on google you know like google <laughs> that's it. the cool thing about today man is that the knowledge gap is being bridged if you want the information you can find it i think this podcast and many other podcasts out there are an example of that like the, people are sharing this knowledge don't let not knowing stop you because you can find out so what didn't what didn't you know like putting yourself back into that that 27 year old version of yourself john and mary say yeah we're in. Yes. Exciting, right? But then how quickly did you realize, oh, shit? Um, <laughs> right away. I think my yeah. very first search on Google was how to open a restaurant. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> What'd straight, you find? Straight up, uh, uh, found checklists. Yeah. You know, and those uh, checklists were huge. Um, they were from everything to, you know, figuring out like in a uh in an order that would matter like you know when you should start thinking about liquor license and how do you apply for those and and all of the different things that you would need with the city versus what you might need internally so there was a checklist for like an internal open and then there was a checklist for like all the stuff that you would never know like how do you file for an llc i need a lawyer i need all of these different things yeah so do you remember the the source where you got like the, the the name of the website or um i don't off the top of my head but i'm was sure it restaurantowner.com by uh, any chance? I, I don't know if it Cause, was because i know back then like they were huge in like their seo was great and they were kind of at the top of the game um i mean i like this is a plug for them they, they, they don't like Honestly, like I think it's a great resource, and uh, they have, like you said, they have outlines and checklists for all this stuff. So uh, I was just curious. Cause I know a lot of people in the past when they did exactly what you said you did, they found restaurantowner.com, and they are an affiliate. I'll put that out there. But I was just curious if there was a connection I'm, there. I'm almost positive that uh, in some way I was influenced by probably more than one article that they would have available yeah. through that website. Restaurant for sure. startup and growth, I think, is the the digital publication yep. they put out. Um, but it's a great resource and. Um, I do have a partnership with them, so I want to be completely transparent because yep, yep. that is important, right? Yep. So anyway, um, what about the, the roadblocks you hit? Like, What were the biggest hurdles you had to get over, things that you know now that you wish you knew then? Like early on, I think it's like understanding how to own a business that has like you have to inspire employees. You have to like you're their livelihood. 
literally and figuratively, you are their livelihood. That's where their paycheck comes from. That's where their inspiration comes from. That's where they need to get up every morning and want to go to that business and and do the job. You, you know? spent six to nine or a few years, six plus years in Dubuque before opening this. Did you bring a team with you? Um, I did. There was a few people that uh, wanted to... Um, you know, join the, join the cause, I'll call it. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, we had about, uh, three to four employees that I was familiar with either through the diamond Joe, they had left and then I invited them here or they might've even come from the diamond Joe. How significant is it to have roots in a community you're opening in? Um, it's huge. You not only do you need to have roots in the community for the consumer, but you need to know people that like you can trust that want to come work with you. You know, you just can't like, I tell my wife all the time, like, I don't know if I could ever open up a business again without having uh, a trust factor, meaning a human element right from the get go. Yeah. I couldn't just hire it all from, from ground zero. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you, what was the hardest part for you in opening this restaurant? Um, just learning to understand like, like numbers and like how to actually make a restaurant profitable because when you're young, all you think a restaurant is about is creating the best food that anybody's ever had. Yeah. That's great. But if your prime costs are 95% or if you don't understand the bottom line or if your labor cost is this and food costs and so on and so forth, then, then none of it matters. And I think that gets a lot of chefs. I think that gets a lot of great restaurants in trouble, at least in the past. And I think because of Google and all these resources that we have, people are getting better at it. But I didn't have a resource. Yeah. I didn't have anybody to go to. I didn't have, you know, a financial institution up front that like, you know, was doing my P and L for me and doing all these different things. So it was it was a matter of of some time and and then we realize like okay we we need to invest in this yeah. and make it a point let's pretend the 27 year old version of yourself is listening to this podcast right now and this is the first time they've ever heard of the term prime costs mm-hmm. what the fuck's that prime cost is uh your labor cost with your food and beverage cost okay and so there's a difference in prime cost for say like an applebee's or a Culver's versus like a fine dining restaurant. So how did you help? What did you do to learn what you to, to get a control over your prime cost? Prime cost. What were you doing internally to control your prime cost? From day so one? I Googled it, you know, I was like, I need to understand like what, what, like the profit margins should be like, how can we be running a restaurant and not understand what we should be shooting for, for a profit margin. And so then I started learning, I'm like, Oh shit, prime cost. Like, what is that? And then I started diving in and like, then I had to make a decision that restaurant fine dining prime cost is much higher. So you have to learn to be able to live with that. You have to understand because all of our cost of goods are higher. Our labor is higher. Um, the food that we're purchasing is, is higher. Why is labor higher? Um, labor's higher because you need more people to produce the food. Yeah. So often, more skilled people. Yeah, too. more skilled. So you usually are are paying more per hour. Your salaries are usually higher, but normally you have uh, like prep people during the day. You know, then you have your skilled workers coming in at night, and so uh, most fine dining restaurants are operating at like a forty percent labor cost. Where if you go to like you know, say a, a fast casual or even, you know, like an Applebee's, you're, you're probably more at like, you know, 30% yeah. or much lower. What profit margin were you looking for? Were you aiming for? Um, I think a lot of the research said that if you can be in the 10%, like you're doing, you're doing pretty good. Do you agree you know? with that? Um, 
It all depends. You know, it, it depends on what you're looking for. I don't have investors that I need to keep happy. Yeah. So I, I can decide what that percentage looks like. And oftentimes we can go under that because I would rather invest in things that makes a better experience for the guest and, and the employees to show that like we're here for the long haul, not just for like a quick buck, you know, and the reward that comes from being genuine in that part of it and not taking advantage of people, uh, charging a honest price for things. That's huge, you know, and people notice that stuff. They sense it just like how we discussed at the beginning when you can sense a pitcher's off or you can sense all those things like a diner knows it too. And a diner goes in and you're saying, you know, our charcuterie board is, is all local. Like, well, is it, you know, and if yeah. it's in front of you, it, it better be. And for what you're charging, it also better be. And, and so all of those things matter. I'm you assuming know? you know Ben Smart, right? Yeah, know him he, very you, well. You just triggered a story he told because we just had him on the show the other day. And he was sharing the story about that significance of if, if you say something is something, it better be that thing. And they did this dinner where everything they put on the menu was within 100 miles. Yeah. And they ran out of salt that they got from the ocean. This is when they were in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, in the middle of the night, his partner drove to the ocean to get two, like 10 gallons of water just so they could be authentic yeah. the next for the next day. And like that, like, but this is also storytelling. This is, you can use this in marketing yourself that this is what we go to. To, to do to, to, to do what we say we're gonna do that's so powerful i love that um any other lessons from the first like year to like opening up that things that you just did not know and you got blindsided and you can give somebody a heads up like don't do what i did man it's it feels like it was yesterday and it also feels like it was a hundred years ago <laughs> yeah. um world it, it's it's understanding the moment be be present be aware um recognize the amount of hours that you're putting in you got to take some time for yourself all these things that are so easy to say in hindsight some of the best quotes some of the best advice that you're ever given is almost always hindsight when you've already now are in a better financial situation you're in a, a better company situation those things are all great but if we have to do it all over again we probably can't do what our advice is because we're giving it from a state of mind that we've been allowed to work towards. Like the, the beginning's supposed to be hard. Mm. The beginning's gonna be hard. And and that's how we that's how we adapt. That's how we learn. That's how we become better. So I don't know if I would have advice that would necessarily keep you from learning that. Because you should. You should experience it. But just try to not kill yourself in it with all the hard work and, and everything that's going on because it's rigorous, but it's also what makes, you know, getting through it and getting out of it as, as rewarding as it is. So do you know, do you know the year you guys opened here? Was it 2015? It was uh, 2015. Yep. 2015, seven years ago. Has Brazen evolved since then? <laughs> God, maybe five different times. You what know? were those? Take us through the gears, the evolution. Um, well, we started by being young and naive and, and just, you know, being willing to like try everything and put ourselves out there. Some things we thought we uh, were doing great and maybe others that we, we knew or didn't know quite yet that we need to get better at. And then, you know, food wise, let's just start there. Food has gone from just zero to a hundred, you know, who we are today with the food that we produce 
is just so special. The team has just grown and, and, and our approach to food is, has definitely become uh, just very unique. And then employee wise, like we, we've, we've had a couple different phases where we've had some turnover. I'm fortunate enough to have uh, a good number of people that have been with us from the beginning. And then um, I also have some, uh, you know, come and goes that uh, have been great and have been great assets, even though they might not be here now, they've also helped us get to where we are. So um, it's been a great ride. Gosh, we are so focused on like the future and how we push and grind that it's probably hard for me to answer that because on, Unfortunately, I don't spend enough time, you know, resignating the past enough. Yeah. So you said when you first started, um, you're trying everything. Um, have you narrowed your scope of of trying? Are you are you are you more focused on a few things? Have you have you found a lane? I think our lane has been uh, the human element, and 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 when I say that, it sounds vague, but. Our focus at Brazen, if you stopped this interview and pulled in any employee that that works at Brazen, you're going to hear a constant of like what the approach is to the human element from us in the kitchen to the diner to the whole spectrum of hospitality. And so I just think we've strengthened that the most we ever have and we understand it more than we've ever been able to understand I'm tempted it. to stop the interview walk into the kitchen no. and grab a random person and, and not even <laughs> not even nervous because I have that much confidence so in what it. would the echo what, what would the message be what would the echo be uh, care you yeah. know um, and and passion and understanding of of the whole experience you know hospitality uh, what it takes to get there how to do it with others you know teamwork all of those things um, is really important. So to how us. do you do it with others? Um, just understanding that everybody might have their own motivation and their own idea of what success is and what their goals are. But if we can share common interest in something like hospitality, like making something so special, I, I use this all the time. Look out into that dining room. We're an open kitchen for the viewer. It's something so special. Look out into that dining room right now, and if that person who's head nodding, it, we call it the head nod when they're, mm, that's good. Like they're, they're like they're, I'm doing through this they're, interview they're, right they're, now. <laughs> yeah, their their heads just going up and down when they're consuming. You. If if that doesn't trigger something inside you, like man, I I don't know how else to help you because what that's doing for me seven years into this restaurant, I'm so jacked. I want to run through a brick wall. You know, like that's how excited I am. That's how moved I am. That's how much it means to me to know that we came here at nine o'clock this morning and worked our asses off all day for that one moment for that person. What is the trick to getting your entire team to echo the sentiment? Um, you be real all day long. You talk about it. You, you express it, you share it. Um, and not everybody's gonna uh, to capture that. They're not gonna embody that the same way. So learning to not let that trigger you, that's not all bad. You know, that's okay. But uh, every day stay consistent. Consistency of not wavering from that. Don't have a day where you don't give a shit. No, you care every day. Yeah. And you lead by example. So you talked that. about shifting lots of gears. You probably grew the, the evolution. Um, in terms of business, uh, we talked a lot about the importance of paying attention to your numbers, P&L, prime costs, all this stuff. What have you done and learned and how have you evolved to get better at controlling those costs? Um, hire really, really good people that understand it yeah. the best. you know. And I think that that 
resonates with many things that we do in life. You know, a lot of us uh, really want to be able to conquer it all and we want to do it. I know business owners that feel like they're lesser of a business owner if they need to have somebody else do one of those things. And it's like, well, not true. Like, why is that not true? Because if you are taking any of your time and investment away from the thing that you're most passionate about and that makes you the most happy and that you can do the best to do something that you might not be great at and, and it's painful for you to get through it. How can you convince me that you are using your time wisely and that's the best use of your time when I would argue that tenfold you could do something else that would have 10 times more uh, effect to your business and you personally if you stay in your lane. So for me, if I dived into the financials, if I did all of the um, you know AP work on the back end and I didn't like it and I hated it, now there's a difference of like being lazy and not wanting to do something versus just knowing where your limits are and knowing that you won't do that well. Yeah then I'm hiring that out all day long and making sure that it's being done the best it can be done by someone who's really good at it while I am staying in my lane. And by the way, I'm crushing my lane and I have more time to continue to crush that. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying, people let their ego get in the way and they feel like they have to do everything or they're not as legitimate if they're not the person controlling everything. And like, I cannot agree more with that sentiment of you aren't meant to be amazing at everything. Again, we're meant to be tribal. We're meant to all contribute our special thing. In the collective, we go further together. Staying in your lane, being a specialist, I think is the way to go. 100% want to reinforce that. Um, did you do anything different about your business? I mean, was it gangbusters out of the, the gate? Were you like like super busy from day one? Did it ever slow down? If it did slow down, how did you pick it back up? We... Um we are incredibly fortunate. We came in at a really good time where I feel like the community was uh, thirsty. They were ready. So we, we, we started, we gave them what we thought they, what they might want, you know, it was definitely a risk, but man, from day one, we've never had to really look backwards. We've been very, very, very successful at staying consistent, I think is what the key uh, the key is, and and we're not perfect, man. We'll make mistakes, and there's a chance you can come to Brazen, and you know it's a human element, it's human error. Like there, there's going to be a mistake made. We're going to have a rough night, no doubt about it. But the idea is is to minimize that as much as possible to where you you bat you know a a, a nine nine seven yeah. like like don't don't allow those mistakes to happen too often to where now you're super inconsistent so i would like to think that if if you could grab a customer and have them sit down and something that they would say is we always know what we're going to get when we go to brazen got it so you also have uh brazen reserve and bird uh, uh fried chicken right it's bird fried it's, chicken. Yeah, it's yeah, birds yeah. the food truck, the fried chicken. Thank you very yeah. much. Um, I, I thought there was more to that. I couldn't remember what it was though. So, did that come before or after the pandemic, or before or after? Because you were, we should mention you were on Top Chef. Yeah, so Top Chef um, was just brazen. I just had brazen Got when it. I went on to Top Chef. So let's go before getting on Top Chef. What was this on your radar? Is this something you always wanted to do? Did they, were you recruited? Did you reach out to them? Um, I was a fanboy. I mean, yeah. I, I've watched every single season of top chef since season one. Okay. Uh, so well aware of the show and what's really cool about the whole thing is this whole, like moving home, coming home concept. It, it goes back to that. Like 
I never thought there was a chance in hell that I would ever get on like a national show like that. There's no way you weren't, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to have those opportunities. That's why people think they can't move home because you don't hear of, you know, the famous chef from, you know, a town of, of 6,000 people in the middle of Iowa or Missouri or, or anywhere. You only hear of them from New York city and, and all those other places. So, my wife actually was the one that's like, dude, you're trying out for this. So she initiated like a good chunk of the application and is like, fill out these questions that I can't, like the yeah. ones that actually are food related and put your damn name on that thing and you're sending it in. So uh, she motivated me and, and that's all it took. And so I did that. I heard nothing. I reached out to a friend um, that had been on the show that I knew through the casino and like send me a video. So at the time uh, we were about five years into brazen. And so I spent a little money on like all this, like filming and making it editing, making it look good. It was, it was awful. I sent it over and he's <laughs> like, yeah, that's shit, dude. Like you just take your cell phone right now and just film why you want. What to was shit show. about it? Uh, it was way too produced. It was way too like, man, this is like just inauthentic. Yeah. It was just, yeah. wasn't real. It wasn't yeah. me. Yeah. So I got my cell phone out and I just talked into it um, in selfie say? mode. And um, <laughs> I remember exactly what I said. I said, you know, obviously I introduced myself and who I was and where I was at. And I was just like, listen, it was real. I was like, I'm kind of just sick of like being in these small towns. And like, you don't think that like we're capable of, you know, like who's to say that like all these people in these Michelin starred restaurants, like what makes them any different or more authentic than somebody from where I come from and the work that I do, it's kind of bullshit, you know, and I want an opportunity to prove, you know, why. And uh, I sent that video in and I heard from him in like a week. Yeah. So it's all they wanted. It's what they wanted to hear. They they know bullshit when they see it. If it's authentic and they they can pick up on that, you're also kind of calling them out too. But you're also pointing something out. I I think there's – this is one of my issues with Michelin Star and James Beard. I know that I think that they have good intentions. I don't think that they're malicious organizations by any means, but I think that there's an issue within the culture of society or within the culture of of restaurants that if you don't get these things, if you don't get this recognition from these these prestigious award like I don't know entities, then you're not the real deal. And there's only so many awards and there's so many amazing restaurants today. The bar has been risen across the standards. Like we we're sharing knowledge. We're sharing food knowledge. We're sharing, we're sharing business knowledge. And sometimes I feel like you need to get that award to be able to sustain the business that it takes to achieve that award. And there's a problem there because it's not, it's not physically sustainable. You, I mean, you're shaking your head, but I also don't want you just to agree for me. Push back. No, I, I do agree, but I also would agree that like we are a society that needs like we need to be inspired or have something that like makes us push. Yeah. I think we've proven that like, you know, if there isn't a reward, meaning money, people wouldn't go to work, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, uh, would incredible movies still be made if there wasn't, you know, awards for that? If there wasn't, you know, Oscars and, and everything else? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think we'd still make good movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how we would gauge them and maybe we don't need to gauge them. And that's the beauty of it. So I don't, I don't agree or disagree. You know, I'm pretty neutral on it, but I definitely like standing outside the box, looking in of that whole conversation. Um, did it inspire me? Did it inspire this restaurant? 
uh, almost every interview I've ever done, I've asked if they're familiar with the James Beard, and it's my way of using a a goal setting understanding of like this is what we do here. Like we're no bullshit. Like we do real food, and and it's a real kitchen environment. And so, have I used them to like? understand that standard Mm -hmm. i have so i'd be a hypocrite if i sat here and was like like yeah you know like you know like we've used it and and sure enough it it kind of works shaming you for doing that i mean by all means like use what you got to to be fiscally responsible that's a leverage a point of leverage for you that you have to use but i think it's i think the message i think i would like the listeners to to hear is you got it when you stopped trying to get it Mm -hmm. And don't get into this industry to win an award. Yep. Because there's a really good chance you won't get it. And I did not open, and I want to be very <laughs> clear, I did not open Brazen yeah. for any awards, you yeah. know? And and my idea of success was to be surrounded by incredible human I beings. Love that. Yeah. All right. It had nothing to do with money. And my wife could come here to tell you right now, like, you mean, I need to get him to look at the account more often, you know, and, but I, that's not what I do this for. Yeah. Like, I don't care about that stuff. I know that if we create an environment for incredible human beings, then won't the rest just, it'll be fine. Yeah. So back to Top Chef, uh, you, did you win? Oh, Jesus. No, well, I, I won. <laughs> I won third off. That's what I won. Third, for, third, <laughs> yeah, third I off. I was the third one off. Yeah. Um, dude. National television uh, ate me alive. It's it's why I'm still like intrigued by it. It's why I still it's the one thing that in this industry I've somehow not been good at, and it's really frustrating because I don't like to not be good at something in this industry because I like to think I'm pretty good. So, um, what do you mean it ate you alive? Was it were you all were you I was nervous your own head? as hell, man? Yeah. There was like all these cameras and everything going on. Do I make um, you nervous? Uh, no, this doesn't make me nervous because <laughs> this is this is more real. And thank you. You're asking me questions that like I'm super passionate about. So I'm happy that you said more real. Again, back to this big idea of big awards, big media. Do you think there's something going on? Like, are we pre- projecting a false reality with these TV shows? Um, I think. I think we want to project the real thing, but money doesn't always come from the real thing when it comes to television and, and the bigger idea. And so, um, did it serve your business? It, it did, you know, like for, and, and I think there's a lot of success to be had from, from TV, no doubt. But I went into top chef, not wanting to be a famous TV chef. I wasn't chasing that. Um, I didn't have an agent or anything going into it, hoping to get more. And I don't say that in a way that like I shame the ones who have. I went into it as one of very few that actually owned the restaurant on my own and had a very successful business going into the show. You weren't where, using it as a launchpad. I, I, didn't, I didn't need it as yeah. a launchpad, yeah. which I also was coming from a community where while I was on a show and people didn't even know I was on a show, we actually had probably the biggest summer that we've ever had. Like I didn't necessarily grow my business times two since the show. That was 2019, right? Yeah. So, so the summer of 2019 going into 2020. Yeah. And so for me, I went on the show for two reasons. One, I wanted to see how I matched up. Like I wanted to see how I compared to, you know, the people in the big city because I really feel like I do have the chops and we do do things here in a smaller market that they'd probably shit their pants if they realized that we were actually doing those things. And two, 
I just wanted more chef friends, man. I, I wanted to, to be able to build bridges and build a community for myself because we don't always have that in a smaller market. It's like, I don't, I don't get to talk to you, you know, a bunch of chefs. I don't get to have like chef night where we're having beers. Network's important. Yeah. Network is huge. Yeah. And you know, it's how we get better, man. It's how we learn about things. Like I got, I got spruce tips in today, straight up. I got spruce tips for the first time. I've never used them. I've never, I've never, um, foraged for spruce tips. So guess what? Now I have like six chefs from the show that I can text right now and be like, dude, I just got spruce tips. Like what the hell? Like, what do I do with these things? Never had that before the show. I love it, man. Um, so we're getting close. This is the the year now is 2019. As far as the timeline goes in our journey. Um, let's take it to present day. I don't really like to get all caught up in COVID-19 because hopefully, we don't ever have to go through that type of bomb again. Um, knock on wood, you know. Uh, but once things started to recover, once things started to open up again, where was your business? What was your strategy? What was going on? Did your business change because of COVID nineteen? Yeah. So, just a cliff note version to kind of set off post COVID is we we entered COVID with the mindset that we want to, no matter how long this thing lasts, we want to come out even stronger than what we entered it. That was always our goal. Did you? So yeah, we adapted, we did lunches, we did dinners, we did takeout, we did all the things that we needed to do. We were in Iowa, so um, our our um, you know our regulations and stuff were a lot different than, than a lot of the countries. Looser so, or tighter? Uh, way looser, yeah. Red we state. Were, yeah, yep. And so with that being said, not I'm not promoting that or proud of that, but we obviously operated within more of a national like mindset than we did a state mindset. So we tried to stay in line with what was going on nationally, not just Meaning you know being more liberal. Uh, or yeah, conservative. or, or like more. Guess, well, uh, how do you? In what sense? I guess. How do I say this? Um, just, just m- more aware. More considerate? What, yeah, more considerate. Um, we didn't want to offend either side. Mm-hmm. So it's a great way to say it. Like, um, we had no stance. Yeah. We just wanted to make sure that people were safe, but yeah. also we could continue business and fulfill the desires that might still be out there. So fast forward that. Uh, we did a great job. We were there for the community. We never gave up on them because we were allowed. So I don't like to say that in a way that people gave up easily, but some people had no choice. Some yeah. people were stripped of a lot of their options to continue. Well, I think this goes back to one of the things I'm saying these businesses, a lot of restaurants aren't going to return from this, but I also think it's those restaurants that were over the top bougie in operating on thin margins to begin with in a healthy economy. And I think that's, again, one of the reasons why I'm trying to be more mindful and let people know, like, if you're chasing an award, you're you're on a tightrope, you know, and a, it doesn't take much to knock you off that rope. And there's much more fiscally, fiscally sustainable options out there, right? I, like, I think you're starting to, like, I, is that what your approach is with Bird, for example? Bird's food truck is just a concept that we learned through... Um the pandemic of just watching people being aware of like their tendencies and like what makes them like happy comfort. You know, like, what is it? What does it take? How do we, how do we stay happy through our, our lowest points? Our chicken sales just skyrocketed like to the point where we were doing takeout and we were doing like 400 pounds of chicken a week. We're kind of famous for our fried chicken at the restaurant. So Fast forward, I started just quickly being like, this is a concept. We've got to figure this out. Like this chicken rocks. It is good. People want it. There's a crazy demand. 
like, let's go. Like, there's a business here. Well, trying to create a business during a pandemic doesn't like, it's not super easy. You know, banks don't love to talk to like restaurants (laughs) when restaurants are the thing that are getting hit the worst. So um, we've been hanging on to this thing. We turned it into a truck first. It's meant to be a brick and mortar. It still will be. We're actually currently working on the concept, but it's fried chicken sandwiches, man. And they're done in a just genuine, delicious, make you happy. But to your to your question or to your point, it, it gives us some adaptability. It's more reachable. It's more approachable. Um, it's something that no matter what pandemic, no matter what happens, um, it can be there for the community in a way that sometimes these nicer restaurants can't fulfill. Yeah. How many sandwiches do you offer? Um, so on the truck right now, we could, uh, usually run three to four, uh, the fourth usually being some kind of like Special uh, specialty or, yeah. or something. And then we have uh, a salad as well. And any other sides or any items on the menu? Uh, um, nope, not right now. Just on a food truck, we would rather do less and do it better. Why? Okay. Why? Yeah. So doing less lets you... It allows us. So we uh, we brine them. Um, we we do everything. We chicard our own chicken as well. It gives it a different kind of bite when you bite uh, bite into the sandwich. Um, and it's like a three step. It's almost like a uh, like a tenkatsu style breading, which is super crispy. So what's the idea behind uh, brazen reserve? Uh, brazen reserve is um, every it it, it encapsulates the entirety of why most young chefs get into this business in the first place. It, it, it's an outlet. It allows you to express for, yourself. It okay. uh, allows you to express yourself. It allows you to uh, plate all that food that got you jazzed in all those fancy books when you were a young chef and you weren't sure how to produce it, but you knew, uh, man, I hope someday I can produce beautiful yeah. food like that. So I'm asking these questions from the outside looking in, uh, from looking at what you've done through the my filter of these lessons I've learned. You did two things that, in my opinion, are much better business models. You focus on doing one thing really well, and the reason why that's, I think that's a better business model is because you can create system and streamline that. Streamline that. You can also so your labor costs are way lower, you know, like you don't have to necessarily rely on like a super skilled chef. You can put somebody, a good person into a process, right? And it's, it's doing, focusing on one thing really well. I think that that's just, and it's also travels. It's, 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 it's like a, it's a to go, it's a pickup thing. You know, it's pandemic safe, right? So there's stability there. And then on the brazen, uh, sorry, brazen reserve, it's, um, pre, a prefix menu, correct? Prefix menu. Yep. Are you selling tickets? Are you sell? Are you? Are you like? What's we're that a hybrid. Process? We're a hybrid model. Okay. So what we we sell tickets um, on talk. So yep. we will release our experiences. Yes. And then um, that's that's one way. And then you can come to us with your experience as well and say, hey, we have ten or twelve people. We'd love to use the room. And then the rest is in my hands. I create the menu. I cook. Uh, in the room right in front of you and it's it's pretty badass there's not a lot of guesswork involved with that you can be precise you know exactly what to order and how many you need so there's less waste right is that have you seen that Uh, so is it are you more profitable with that business model as far as the work that goes into it you you can be yes but for us once again it's that experience it's that genuine experience or probably don't push the profitability on that as strong as we probably could just because I want to give you a, a full experience that you've never had before and not think that you could get in in Dubuque. So we we're a little bit more ge- we're a little bit more genuine with, you know, the items that are on the menu and are a little bit more, you know, just like 
are you, know, you are you using the scale option that talk provides where an experience on a Friday night at seven o'clock is more valuable than an experience at five o'clock on a Thursday. Nope. So we haven't gotten to that point yet. Um, I'd love for uh, the reserve room to become its own little restaurant Mm -hmm. to where maybe like Thursday through Saturday, there's uh, like restaurant style seating that goes throughout it, but we are post pandemic still in our, you know, labor inflation kind of weird, you know, what's going on with that. And so uh, it, it's hard to staff for the growth. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 okay right now to staff to maintain, but I mean that hurts. You know, like maintaining is great, but there's a lot of great things that um, can happen, and you need you need a plethora of people mm-hmm. to be able to like go chase those things. Got it. So, what's the future of brazen look like bird look like what's on the horizon for you where do you think the industry is headed what are you doing to be ahead of it um i think culture is changing i I think the way we approach being in this business is changing we're doing what we can um you know i think just all aspects of what used to be uh shouldn't be the platform anymore i think um through covid we we missed out on an opportunity to maybe recreate a new platform but i think we were aware and so those of us who have the ability um the success of our business can make change and do different things and so what type of change are you talking about uh so currently we have an hourly uh shared tip or a pooled tip system for hourly non-tipped employees um to continue help the the wage pandemic that so we're in. So are you specifically talking about back of help? Yeah, uh, everybody. House. Nope. Anybody that's non-tipped. Okay. So like uh, you have to remember a host is typically non-tipped. Yeah. Um, and depending on if bus you person. Know, yeah, a, a bus person, they, they usually should be tipped. But what mm-hmm. we've done is we, we remove a dollar from every single menu item that's sold that night and that goes into a pool and then it's divvied up. And But that, on the front end, are you adding a dollar of operational costs? So you're not hitting your profit? Um, so <clears throat> we didn't at first, okay. you know, and right now what we've done is we've been Factory. like tri- triple whammied with like inflation of cost of goods mm. and everything. Especially with chicken, right? Yeah. So for us, it, it's it, ironically like it was something that we like semi built into it. Like we didn't try to take full advantage of the customer and just be like, Oh, here's an extra dollar on every item. I don't think that's taking an advantage of somebody. I think that's just also, I think we're afraid of that. Yeah. You know, would you say there's a fear of insulting the consumer, but at the same time we need what we need. And, and it's the idea that a dollar on every item of your menu is not offensive considering what it equates to. Mm-hmm. So in a week, it averages out to about $1.75, almost $2 an hour an employee. Wow. So if you pay $14 as your starting base, at any given time, like on Fridays and Saturdays, they could be upwards of three, three twenty-five an hour that day because of just that $1 on the menu items. That's special. Yeah. Like that's really special. And you know, when you get into like benefits and stuff, it's hard to describe what benefits are and what benefits are good. You know, young chefs aren't necessarily into 401ks and IRAs yet. So is that a benefit anybody cares about or is even getting used? Maybe, maybe not. Um, insurance nine out of 10 times in this market, you can go into the market yourself and get better subsidy and get better, cheaper insurance than what, if we tried to get a company wide insurance would be, it, it just, 
So that's almost, it's a, it sucks because we're in a, a weird place of how do we offer benefits that are real, that make impact. There's just not good knowledge and education on like what those things are. And like, if you don't have insurance right now, like there is a marketplace and, and you potentially can get subsidies for that. So that might not, that should be, and might not be really the thing that like, you have to use as your idea of what I need to go get. Now, if you have a whole family and everything else that's different, but if you're just a young individual and are no longer on your parents' insurance, like those are the things that we've got to navigate that we're not getting the best, like, you know, advice on, or we're not being shown or shined light. Like, Hey, this is where we should be going. So the future of our industry is a little shaky right now, but, um, I believe that it's going to bounce back and I believe great things are, are still going to happen. What, do we need to do to make it less shaky? Um, I think we need to reestablish what the hospitality industry actually like does and gains you as a human being. What does the hospitality industry actually do? It, it gives you so many tools in life that many jobs can't offer you. It, it offers you social skills. It offers you, um, what I call mirror skills, looking in a mirror, testing yourself, always holding yourself accountable. There's so many things that you can learn through. It's, it's hard work. The hours can press on you. Different things that you've got to be able to overcome. Man, it can mold you into such an incredible human being to go do almost anything mm-hmm. and be great at it. This is exactly why I say if you transform the restaurant industry, our mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the restaurant industry. I full-heartedly believe if we transform the restaurant industry, we transform the world because of the influence we have, because of how many people come through this industry as a first job, and because the consumer, we are, we are influencers. The consumer pays attention to restaurant owners and restaurants. We can influence people to, to do better, to show up for us so we can show up for them. I do, do you think we can change the world? Uh, 100%. And I think that we're slowly but surely learning that like our voices are powerful. And I think they're starting to get used more and more. And we have to remember independently owned chef restaurants is kind of a new thing. Like that didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. You, you were hired by an investor and maybe were given, you know, some ownership. Yeah. But today, more than ever, we have individuals like myself who can make those calls, who can make those decisions on how are we going to change this and what are we going to do and how do we inspire? Yeah. And even if it hits our bottom line in a way that hurts a little bit, it doesn't matter because we care and we're directly uh, uh, affiliated with the decision we're making. Chef Kevin, I've loved this conversation, man. I really have. Is there anything we have not discussed that you were hoping we would discuss that you think you specifically can add value to this this conversation by going there? Yeah, I think the last thing I would say, and this is really, really important to me, when you are in this industry and you're ever struggling or if you're ever down or if you're ever just in a dark place, the first place you got to start is is yourself mm. and, and constantly focus on what your best self is and work on that so hard. And oftentimes you have a great job in front of you. Sometimes the job is shitty, so I'm not saying always, but oftentimes there can be a great job in front of you, 
But what happens is, is you're not in a great place and you're not the best version of yourself. And so it's affecting that job. And now all of a sudden the job becomes uh, maybe a problem or, or you're using it as an excuse. It happens so often here. I, I just want people to make sure like, hey, are you going to bed early? You know, are you waking up early and getting stuff done during the day? Don't fall into the bad habits of the industry of like, dude, I stay up until 2, 2.30 in the morning doing whatever it is. And then I sleep until 11, 11.30 or noon. I eat something quick and then I come to work with three Red Bulls and I do that over and over and over again. That's not the best version of yourself. Yeah. That's not the best version of yourself yeah. and you need to focus on that you need to you know focus on the things that can make you you know healthy from your mind to your body and your heart and your soul and then all of a sudden the rest now you can be the best version in that yes great message chef one more quick break to thank our sponsors we'll be right back to bust out a true speed round find out why past guests like tender greens and kava are using play iq for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with Play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now, I've told you what's new with Play IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Play IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Play IQ Bill Pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also, with Play IQ Bill Pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ Insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. Today's episode is brought to you by Margin Edge, a software platform for restaurant people by restaurant people. To be successful in the modern age, you need to be efficient by streamlining your processes and creating automation. Simply put, Margin Edge means data streamlined and insights automated. With Margin Edge, you can track food and labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions 
in the moment. And who likes data entry? No one. So you'll be thrilled to hear that there's no more data entry with Margin Edge. They will save your team hours and paperwork by automating your invoice processing with line item detail. Don't worry about the integration either because Margin Edge allows you to seamlessly connect your POS and accounting systems and get a daily P&L. On top of all of this, Margin Edge enables you to digitally manage your inventory and recipes, plus you can compare actual cost versus theoretical cost. Find out why over 3,100 restaurants are thrilled to be using Margin Edge. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your free demo. And when you use that link, you can try Margin Edge for free for 30 days. There's no contract. There's no setup fee. Plus, you get free unlimited training and support. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. One more time, marginedge.com slash unstoppable. We are back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Weird. What is your biggest weakness? Sensitivity. What is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're looking to grow your team? Passion. How do you know they have passion? You can feel it. What is your biggest challenge today? Personal growth. How are you overcoming it? Investing in it. How do you invest in it? Uh, first of all, knowing that I need to invest in it and then <laughs> taking the time to work on it, read books, uh, inspire yourself, talk to people who've done it, and uh, learn life lessons. What is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? A way to be, a way to act, a core value. Hello. Uh, what is one book that's a must read that makes us a better person or restaurant operator? Oh man, I know this is cliche. Uh, Danny Meyer setting the table. How did I know? It's, it, it's so freaking good. It's best, stupid how good it is. Best lesson from that book. Um, the, I, and I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize. Nobody fact checked this, but it's like the, the 70, 30 like rule that he's got, uh, uh 50, 51 percenter. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whatever that yeah, is. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Sorry. Um, that, 50, 51 percenter. Is yeah. The, the yeah. Term. Yeah. So what, what does that mean? Um, just like, it, it's kind of what we've talked about, you know, hiring like somebody with like the personality and who they are mm-hmm. and, and their investment and commitment and all that stuff versus yeah. just their skill. Yep. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Uh, they're not genuine enough. What is one service you've hired or outsourced not a technology but like people who do something that you can never do as well so you just have them do it for uh financial who's your financial person uh lance nealon he's incredible he's out of uh he's out of minneapolis he's fantastic you know the name of his business um that was lance nealon if you oh we're doing social media right now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Lance Nealon, uh, we will uh, put the name of your business in the show notes. Retail Financial. Retail, retail Financial. financial. Okay, yep, awesome. Yep. Uh, that's Retail Financial, Lance Nealon. Nealon. Thank you. Neelan. Um, what is one technology you've recently adopted within your restaurant that's had a huge impact on profitability, communication, efficiency, marketing, anything along those lines? I mean, I would just say social media in general has the largest impact. Uh, invest in it, believe in it. Um, it's worth the time that it takes to produce it. What's your best social media advice? 
Um, do it yourself and be real. All of our social media is 100% done by me still to this day. That's impressive, man. Um, my hat's off to you for doing that. I really, cause and I- <laughs> don't ever, and don't you ever like do, uh, like a, um, like a, uh, like a, a post ahead or whatever. Like don't schedule your posts. Don't like, don't come up with just like, you know, uh, what do you want to call it? Like, man, it needs to be in the moment. You, you take that picture, you write about it, you post it in that moment. It's real. It lets people inside of, of who you are, your business, it matters. What is one standard of service that's common within the four walls of your business, but not common throughout the industry? Some people might do it, but it's treat them as if they're the guests in your home. Yeah. Like, with the greeting to how you like say goodbyes, like it's, it's important to us probably more so than a lot of places. Like if you're all the way at the back of the restaurant and you see someone walking out and there's not a host, you damn well better be screaming goodbye. And thank I love you. that man. Great stuff. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. Open your ears, get ready for it. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy, what would those three pieces of wisdom be? Passion. One. Love. Two. And awareness. Three. Kevin, Chef Kevin, I've loved this conversation, man. Thank you so much. Who do you respect and admire? Somebody that if you found out there were a guest on the show tomorrow, you'd be like, oh, man, I'm tuning into that. I want to hear what this person has to say. I have a feeling I know what you're going to call out. Yeah, it's definitely Gavin Kaysen. Yep. <laughs> um, I would I would love, uh, to be honest with you, he is somebody that I wish he would put more of his his personal story out there, his successes, how he's done it. Um because he's doing it in a market that I think resonates with many of us that are in smaller but very similar markets. Minneapolis is still very much a Midwest town, mm-hmm. even though it's larger, but we, they've got a lot of the variables that we do. So, Yeah, man. I've loved this conversation. I just cannot say thank you enough. Uh, before we say goodbye, how can we connect with you if we are feeling inspired by your story, if we have questions about your, or your, your interview, or maybe we want to come work with you? What's the best way to connect? Yeah, the best way is definitely social media uh, at Kevin Scharf um, on Instagram. Uh, Facebook is Kevin Scharf. Uh, you can email me at Chef Scharf, S C H A R P F, at gmail.com. Um, man, I'm busy, but I love to make time. And if anybody cares to know anything or wants to have that conversation, I'm there. Chef Kevin Scharf, one more time. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thank you. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Chef Kevin Sharp. Man, just such great positivity radiating off you, dude. I love your outlook. I loved your energy. Just thank you so much for joining us. And man, if you guys enjoyed today's episode, please support this podcast. There's a few ways you can do it. You can subscribe. You can share this episode with everybody and anyone you know aspiring to be great in the industry. If there's any tool or service recommended in today's show, head over to the show notes, restaurantunstoppable.com slash 902. We'll have a link to any tool or service recommended on the show. And there's a good chance that we might be affiliated with these companies and that if you use our links, you're just basically paying us commission. I would 
I would tell you about this stuff anyway. It's not like I'm trying to be a sleazy, slimy salesman. You know, we're out here paying forward to the truth. So uh, just use our links, support the show. And that'll go such a long way. Also, if you're interested in our sponsors, please make sure to use the links. That's how they track the effectiveness of these ads. Uh, you got to use the links. You got to make sure you tell these companies that you heard about them through Restaurant Unstoppable. And then lastly, if you have not yet, make sure you head over to youtube.com slash Restaurant Unstoppable and subscribe to our channel. We're trying to get to a thousand. The more subscribers we get, the better channel chances we have of finding a sponsor for this video content. And I think that's pretty much it today. We can't say goodbye without saying thank you to sabandsam.com for being on the road with me over these past six months and helping me capture this video content, which we haven't released any of this stuff yet. So stay tuned because we're going to drop the hammer real soon. And then also special thanks to Jared from Sumadre podcast for doing all my editing and my copywriting in the show notes. Uh, you cannot do it alone. That's a lesson I'm learning through all these interviews and I'm doing my best to build my team over here. And if you're interested in this podcast and you want to be a part of it, I'm looking for some help. And I, I'm really starting to realize that these, this vision I have, this this thing I'm trying to execute, I really can't do it alone. So if you're savvy online, if you have marketing skills, if you want to travel, if you want to be a community manager in the network, if any of that stuff sounds interesting to you, hit me up, eric at restaurantstoppable.com. All right, that's it for today. Until next time, peace out.